In order to keep bringing you guys tons of free content, we work with brand partners who you'll hear from in this episode, including an advertisement from Zopa Bank. If you've followed me for a while, you'll know this has been a dream of mine since the very beginning of launching Talk 20s, and it's finally happening. We're launching 20s Fest in autumn 2023. To attend or get involved, head to talk20s.com. Welcome back to the Talk 20s podcast. You might be asking yourself, what's a tax code? How much should I be paying back in student loans? Why should I be worrying about pensions in my 20s? And is there a gender pay gap in my workplace? These are all questions I've asked myself and I'm sure you've wondered at times. So today we're going to get all the answers because we're joined by Abby Foster, chartered accountant and founder of Ellent Finance. But before we dive in, a quick thank you to all of you who regularly recommend this podcast to all of your friends. Word of mouth is something we can never track through listens, but we know from chatting to you that this is one way we find new listeners. So thank you. Don't forget to follow and subscribe and let's crack on with the show. Well, hello, Abby. Welcome to the Talk 20s podcast. It's a delight to have you here. You've come up all the way from London, Wimbledon. Yeah, Wimbledon. Amazing. Played much tennis? Absolutely not. <laughs> I went and watched some, but that was about as far as I got. I uh, love it. Obviously, a lot of people will know it for the tennis, but I'm sure there's a lot of other things going on in Wimbledon than just the tennis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no? Not really, but it's like, it's a beautiful place. I yeah. love it. Oh, well, very jealous anyway that that's, that's the area of the world that you live in. Really interesting Um your story actually, because we met, oh gosh, it wasn't even that long ago that we met in person, but you're, and, and at the time I said, Abby, I'll have to get you on the Talk 20s podcast. But since then, tell us a little bit more about what's happened to you because the world's <laughs> gone a bit crazy, right? Yeah. The Ellen world, which is my company has gone a bit mad. So when I think I was speaking to you, I probably had about 3000 followers and I was religious. I was consistent. I was showing up for those 3000 yeah. people every yeah. day. <laughs> and then I posted a reel on tax codes and payslips in general. And it got one plus million views. Mm-hmm. And my following went from three and a half thousand to 50,000 in le- less than two weeks. Absolutely. Insane. Let me just point out, that's not TikTok. That was Instagram it, that as was well. That was Instagram. Which is yeah. crazy. That was Instagram, which I just didn't expect. And yeah, it was it was all consuming. Mm-hmm. And I went from having two or three people do like my Sunday quiz when I first started it, which was like these six questions to do on a Sunday on my stories to the a thousand people. Wow. And it it was bonkers. There was, yeah, there was no like smooth into it. I was hoping <laughs> to do like a, oh, I've got 5,000 followers. Oh, I've got 10. <laughs> and then it just went five, 10, 15, 20. No, celebra- no time for celebration posts in between. Absolutely no. no celebration time whatsoever. And when it exploded, I was also with um, wonderful friends, but I was on a friend's holiday um, mm. for a weekend when it was all going off. And none of them are, like, are really that bothered about social media. So mm. no one really understood the freaking out that was going on <laughs> in my brain when my phone was just taken off. Um, so yeah, that is what's happened since I saw you. I love that for you. And I also love that for financial education because one of our four pillars of, of Talk 20s is is finance. We've got career, well-being and fun as the other three. But like finance is a key part of like what we talk about because we're just not taught enough about it in school. And I'll be honest, it's rare to see a, like a financial influencer go absolutely boom like that. It is usually a slow and steady kind of rise sort of thing. Um, and it's amazing work that you guys do. Like it really, I always say it's really is God's work because no one is teaching this in schools and we need to be taught it essentially, which is, which is amazing to see. But, um, we also had a clip very recently about kind of pay slips and, mm. um, how you kind of manage your payday routine, yeah. do really, really well. And do you know what? I'm here for it. The fact that people want to take like control of their finances and are, uh, you know, engaging with clips and content like this is really, I mean, I think it just shows the positive direction that the world is going in. So I'm loving it. Um, 
one of the things that you spoke about in that exact clip is tax codes. And I think we might as well start there. Seeing as it's the, <laughs> seeing as it's the bit that yeah. made you blow up. Yeah. For our listeners then, tell us a little bit more about what you said in that clip and what they really need to know when it comes to payslips and tax codes. Yeah, sure. So tax codes, yeah, has become a bit of my trademark. Friends, <laughs> family, anyone that knows me go, am I on the right one? And I'm like... Like, oh God, okay, fine, let's go through it. So tax codes, it's very simple. We break it into two. So you have a number element and a letter. And the number, the standard UK tax code is 1257L. And I say standard because that is what 90% of people have. But Mm. if you are in that 10%, don't panic. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but there are changes. So if your 1257 elements, the four numbers or numbers at the beginning are not that, that refers to something called your personal allowance, which is how much income you can have before you start paying income tax. And so... The 1257 refers to the fact that in England, we get £12,570 worth of personal allowance. Mm -hmm. And that refers to the 1257. Mm -hmm. And then L is just a standard UK tax code. But for instance, you could also see BR, which stands for basic rate. And that means you're being taxed like on all of your income. Um, If the number's a lower number, so if it's like 1200, it means you're getting £12,000 worth of personal allowance instead of £12,570. There is a whole host of different things. You know, we could go through all the letters, like mm-hmm. C on your uh, tax code if you're a Welsh resident, S if you're a Scottish resident. That, do you see what I mean? There's a lot yeah. of like anomalies to it, but the standard is 1257L. And I always say to people, if it's not that and you don't know why, first things first is like check it and mm-hmm. like, you know, just do your own research. Have you had a letter from HMRC recently telling you why or has your work emailed you to tell you? Um, and then... The next thing is to call HMRC. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a particularly exciting phone call. Um, they don't have a very exciting phone, like ringtone or anything. It's just, you just wait. When you get put on hold, there's no fancy music. No, like none that. of that's what I'm looking for. There's no fancy music. <laughs> it's the same music every single time. They do tell you, it's like a countdown. They'll be like, you are eighth in the queue. And yeah. you're like, oh yes, eight more. As an accountant, you just, are you sick of that ringtone? Like, sick of that? Yes. Yeah, yes, yes. HMRC, um, yeah. But I would say in their defense, because I know they get a lot of stick for being quite boring. <laughs> the people on the other end of the phone are really lovely and yeah. they are people so when you say to them I don't understand this they will help you it's their mm-hmm. job they've mm-hmm. got no ulterior motive to make your life harder um, but with tax codes the reason we go into them and why I'm talking about them is because if you don't realise that yours is wrong you could be under or overpaying tax both are equally bad to be honest um, and that can impact your financial well-being because it means you have less or more money than you should have and that kind of stuff is what we need to be fixing. And this is why we need to be teaching it, mm-hmm. um, which I think is obviously why the video um, went a bit nuts, really, is because it impacts every single person every single month. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, how do we know if HMRC owes us money? Like, Or, okay... So it's a tricky one. You want to call HMRC and you want to make sure that you're on the right or like make sure that whatever's on there is right for you. And if they turn around to you and say, you've been... Um, overpaying tax, then you could get what's called like a tax refund. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that automatically happens. HMRC will automatically send you your money back or you might have to chase them. But the flip side can also happen where you might be underpaying tax. You might have a tax code that's above what you should be getting. And that's not great either because you're going to then be hit with a bill. No, that's worse. That's so bad, isn't it? It is. Everyone loves a nice surprise. Oh, I overpaid £60 this year. 
No one likes that. Oh my God, I owe HMRC 300 pounds. Exactly. I think taxes in general, no one loves. And then to find out you've got an extra tax yeah. bill coming, we just, yeah, that's not the one. But yeah, contacting HMRC is a really good idea. So how can you avoid like those discrepancies happening? Is there any like good things that you should do? Like, I remember when I was young and I had like a couple of different jobs and stuff like that, that my tax code was all like messed up or I started a job because I was at university and then I stopped it and then I paid tax on it, but didn't know when to get the, and I think, you know, what, what's best practice? So best practice is if you are ever unsure is to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly don't work for HMRC, but I think I've mentioned it a million times already. But the, the, <laughs> get this uh, podcast sponsored, sponsored by, by HMRC. HMRC. Um, to be honest, I'm sending a lot of people their way, so they're probably not my biggest fans. But um, <laughs> it's to contact them and ask them and just check. You know, and the more you educate yourself, the like the less you'll have to ask. You know, I've got people um, that know that have been following the page for a long time now. That they're like, oh, I know that BR means this. So when it saw when I saw it come up on my payslip. I checked it. I found out it was wrong, got it immediately changed. And then it was right and it was all fine. So Mm -hmm. just being really methodical and just checking your payslip, it's really boring, but it's actually really good financial health just to check it when it comes in. I think, you know, Budget Jones Diary, like Beth was talking about it in her one that went viral. Like it's just good practice. It's not, it's not scary. You know, all you're looking at is the amount of money that's coming into your bank account anyway. Mm-hmm. So just check the little tax code on there and make sure it's right. Mm-hmm. Well, if we carry on the topic of pay slips yes. and things that come out of our pay slips um, after, well, like, you know, we've got our amounts and then we know that there's obviously national insurance that then yes. comes out. Can you explain a little bit about what national insurance is? So national insurance is um, the second employment tax. So on your pay slip, you'll have two employment taxes, mm-hmm. income tax and national insurance. Mm-hmm. And national insurance is the second income tax and it creates what's called like the national insurance fund. And the interesting thing about national insurance, if you can call it that, is um, that you are, by paying into national insurance, you're actually gaining eligibility to something called the state pension. So when you yeah. hit retirement age, I think it's currently sits at 66 and possibly rising. You'll be crazy by the time we get there. Quite possibly. Yeah. But, you know. You'll be like 105, here's your state pension. Yeah, here's your state pension. <laughs> it's also not a lot. I think yeah. currently it stands at £203 a week, which is not going to get you that far, no. especially if you live anywhere. I was about to say, <laughs> live in London. if you live anywhere, it's Let's hope not that a lot. amount increases as well by the time we get there too. Oh, that's a whole other subject because that <laughs> is meant to increase with inflation and I have a whole issue about that. But the, um, yeah, the national insurance gives you eligibility to state pension. So you have to have contributed 35 full years of national insurance contributions to be eligible for the full state pension. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of people realise that and always say to me, well, can I just opt out? If I don't want the state pension, can I just opt out of paying national insurance? Sadly, it's not how it works. Um, you do have to pay both employment taxes if you fall over the allowance. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. that's national insurance. And so to hit the national th- insurance threshold, it's usually around, it's similar usually to where the income tax yes. is usually, isn't it? And so if you are if you earn over that for like from the age of like 25 to 60, yeah. then in theory, you should be fine when it comes to state pension, right? Yeah. But if you have any missed years and you don't, get it for whatever reason then that's when you should start thinking so like for example I know that my mum she had kids and she didn't work and during that time my dad was like the breadwinner in the family and um she had so obviously she wasn't she wasn't anything earning anything so mm. she was actually like I have to get back into work in order to be able to get my state pension to be able to get my 35 years in yeah. before I can retire and even get a state pension so it is it is worth thinking about a lot of people do think oh, I'm just gonna not work for a few years maybe you're traveling or stuff like that it actually does start to 
does start to have an impact. Yeah, the years don't have to be one after the other. I always try to make that clear Mm because a lot of people panic, especially new mums, don't realise if they take gaps, what does that mean? Um, But it does have to be 35 to get the full state pension. Mm -hmm. There is a leeway. So between 10 years and 35, you get like a percentage. Um, So let's imagine you did 11 years of national insurance, you'd get 11 35ths of the amount. Um, So there is a kind of, you know, leeway Mm -hmm. between the two. But I would say... Yeah, it can be quite a panic for people. And obviously we've assumed like wrongly, many people assume wrongly that it's just we're entitled to it and that Mm. we should just get it because we live in the UK. And actually, sadly, it's not an entitlement. You know, there are credits and things like that you can get to boost up those years, but it's not a given. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. Um, And another thing, I guess, if we're looking into later adult life, and it it pains me to think that we have to think about this in our 20s, but if we do think about it in our 20s, it helps us set us up for success for the rest of adult life. But why should we care about pensions in our 20s? Okay. Why? This is such a hard topic. So, um, I do teach obviously in schools and I have to convince people younger than 20 (laughs) that pensions are a good idea and you can see their eyes switch off when I start talking about pensions versus something more exciting like crypto and investing. Nap nap here on this pillow. (laughs) Yeah, and I get and I also ask my students to um, give me feedback forms. And honestly, nine times out of ten, when I ask them like what was your favorite part, they all choose investing. Yeah. Every single one of them. No one has ever picked pensions. (laughs) Some people have picked pay slips because they've got a pay slip and they find it quite funny and yeah. they want to know no one has ever gone do you know what? pensions was just really exciting, exciting. um <laughs> no one and it's really sad because pensions are quite interesting um they are effectively like investments but why we should care about in our 20s is because of something called auto enrollment so when you are over the age of 22 and earning more than 10k a year and you're in a full-time job you will be automatically enrolled into a workplace pension and you need to understand what that means for you because what it means on a basic level is that you are contributing to your workplace pension or your private pension and your employer is also having to contribute so you're bringing money to the party and they're also bringing money to the party and what a lot of young people don't realize is that if they opt out the business doesn't have to pay either Mm -hmm. and so they don't have a pension and that means that obviously as they get older and older they're going to be having to put more into their pension pot to get the same amount than if they'd just even done a little bit when they were younger um, you know, we've talked about compound, in, like we're going to talk about compound interest, interest I'm sure. And mm-hmm. that's what you're trying to work towards when you're younger. And like, I know it's not very glamorous and it's not very exciting. It does mean you take home less money now, but your future self will thank you so much. You always have to be thinking, like I always say, like, got to think about future Abby. Yeah. Always got to be thinking about future Abby because like we've just discussed, the state pension is not enough to live on. It's Mm -hmm. not going to be there. We're not going to be able to live our best lives on £203 a week. It's just not happening. Um, So we have to think about like the workplace pension and not to put a feminist twist to this, but there is something called the gender pension gap where women inherently have less in their pension than, than their male counterparts. And that stems from those young ages where we're just not putting anything in mm-hmm. um, when we really should. With the cost of living crisis in the UK, we're all feeling the pinch. That's why we've teamed up with our sponsor, Zopa Bank, to help our listeners understand their finances better. If you're worried about your financial situation, you may want to download the Zopa app and check out their borrowing power tool. It will give you a clear view of how Zopa see your financial health with a simple one to 10 rating, with 10 being that your financial health is in good shape. 
With this knowledge, you'll have a great understanding of your financial resilience. And if your score's not a 10, it will give you personalized tips on what you need to do to improve your score over time. Head to your app store and search Zopa. You alluded there to compound interest. Yeah. And I think it's, a, you know, it kind of actually is something that we do learn in maths, yeah. but like in, in school and stuff, but not necessarily in a way that kind of, I felt like it would... I think I did it like Tom has three pounds sixty-two. He wants to invest it, whatever. But I don't think I re- really ever took it that seriously. Yeah, I did maths at A level, and I'm almost certain I didn't really understand it. No, um, me neither. I wasn't really paying attention. It wasn't very interesting. But when it comes to your own money, it gets really exciting. Exactly. Um, yeah. The basic, like, a way to explain it from a real, like, just basic level is that. You start with, let's just imagine you put £10 in and you know that you're getting a 10% return. So you then next year you have £11. And you the compound interest effect is that next year you can have that same 10%, but it's not going to be on the £10, it's on the 11 So then it's even more and even more. And it, it builds, it does that rather than so just like steady. So year two, it'd be £12.10. Yes, Yes. Well done. I, I'm so Mental glad you maths. did the maths quickly for me because I was... <laughs> if it's wrong, people pa- go, she got the maths wrong. The panic in my eyes then, I was like, mm, oh God. Um, <laughs> you know, I did maths at A-level and I did an accountancy degree. I've done like a post-grad. Mental maths. Mental maths. <laughs> I sit there and I'm like, oh God. When I'm at home on my own, I'm fine. But it's, I think it's the Under stage pressure. fright. Camera's here. Yeah. It's the stage fright because obviously I'm an accountant, so yeah. I should know what I'm doing. Um, but Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So over obviously loads of years, mm-hmm. you know, you're going from £10, £11, £12, 10 Yep. That just goes and goes and goes, right? So mm-hmm. even if you don't put in more money, that that amount is still in there. But say you were to put that £10 in in 10 years time, mm-hmm. it wouldn't it wouldn't get to the same place that we're, we're talking about yeah. when it comes to the compound interest, right? Yeah, you're sacrificing so many of those years of building up wealth mm-hmm. um, and you know, like, and can I just explain as well with pensions? Pensions are investments. Mm-hmm. So people think of pensions and investing as the, as complete opposites. But when you put money into your pension, really, it's just someone else is doing the investing for you. So they take everyone's money and they invest it into different things. And then hopefully once you hit retirement age, which for your private pension is a lower, sits around 55, I think right now, um, that's when you can take your money out and it should be worth more than it was to start with. And you know, the compound interest of the fact that when you start when you're younger into a workplace pension and your employer has to put in, you're putting in 5%, they're putting in a minimum of three, you know, that's money that you weren't getting before and you won't get if you don't choose to put in. The one the one good thing with auto-enrollment though is that if you do opt out, so let's just say you're 22 years old, you've been automatically opted in and you go, I don't, I want the money now. I don't want to wait till I'm 55, which you know, it's fine. It's a, you know, mm. it's a choice you make. In Within three years, you will be automatically opted in again. So just be aware. Like it's a good, I think it's a good thing mm-hmm. um, because, you know, if you're 22 and you've opted out, you might have a different money mindset by the time you're, you know, 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might be a nice reminder to be automatically opted back in again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people do just think, oh, I don't, I don't know if I can, I don't want to think about future self like in that yeah. moment of time because a lot of people are just like, 
you know, if they get this certain amount and usually when we're all on starting salaries, it doesn't feel like a lot of money, <laughs> especially in the times we've got right now with the cost of living crisis. It's, yeah. it can be a real issue. Like yeah. a lot of people are, you know, I want to keep all the money that I need right now. Yeah. And it's really hard sometimes. And I know so many people will be re- able to relate to this. It's really hard to just think this is going to help future me yeah. like in, in far off distance. Yeah. Cause I often think about future me at 16. I'm like, oh, she's like, you know, she's a gazillionaire. She goes on cruises all the time. She just lives her best life. But I don't really know how current Gabs is actually going to get to that mm. gazillionaire that goes on cruises all the time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know exactly so what you mean. Some, something has to happen between now and me being that woman. But I don't, I, I guess it's paying into my pension. I think, do you know what? I like to talk about like self-care. And I think it's just another thing to add to your self-care list. Like, mm. as a, like you know, a lot of young people you know, treat like going and getting their nails done or getting their hair done as self-care. And that's brilliant. And I don't, I don't dispute that at all. I think it's really important to look after yourself with your money, but add, add those investments in your money self in the future as self-care. Mm. It would be like, it, it takes just, it can be minimal amounts that over time build up into this like huge pot. And it's just a nice thing to see when you're hitting retirement that it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Absolutely. So we kind of talked about the ways that we're going to reward our future selves. Well, taxes, no no way we can get out of that rewarding our future sales of pensions and investments but another thing that we feel like many of us will be paying for coming out of our pay slips is student loans yes can you explain to us a little bit more about how student loans work yeah of course so in the uk we have um different plans so if you went to university pre-2012 you will be on what's known as plan one if you went post 2012 to 2023, if you went to uni in those years, you'll be on what's known as plan two. And there is now a new plan that comes into play from September, 2023, um, called plan five. What about C? What was, was it? A, B, C? C? No, it was one, oh, two. Oh, sorry. And I, then, didn't even, I wasn't even listening. No, was no, I, no. One, two, three would have <laughs> been better. It would have, it would have, it would have made loads more sense, but there is already some other plans going on. So like they just skip to five. It's confusing, but. Well, they confused me and I was on, I was on letters and they were on numbers anyway. Yeah, so. so it's, it, yeah, it's plan one, plan two and plan five. But let's just imagine that okay, most, I'm, most of your listeners in their twenties, they are most likely on plan two. Mm-hmm. That means that. Um, you are paying, if you've taken out the loan, which is like a mixture of tuition loans, so paying the amount you pay to your uni, and your maintenance loan, which is what you get to Mm -hmm. spend on bills and life. Um, The combination of that, once you leave university, you you have to start paying that back, but only once you earn over a threshold. So it's sort of like a tax. Um, I think like the patron saint of financial education himself, Mike Lewis, calls it a graduate tax, but Mm -hmm. it's actually a more like a university tax because you don't have to graduate sadly obviously if you do a year you still have to pay that year back um they don't give you an exemption just because you didn't feel like finishing Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but what happens on plan two is once you start earning over 27,295 you pay back at nine percent which is why it has this kind of tax effect to it because it's like a tax rate Mm -hmm. you pay back what you can over the amount so I always say to people the student loan cannot bankrupt you because you can't pay you don't pay until you can earn enough to pay. That's just how it works. It is a lot. There's no beating around the bush. And there is a lot of, that, you know, especially because it rose from like 3K a year to 9,250 mm. in a jump from 2011 to 2012. And it can mean that some of our student loans are sat there and they're 50,000. Mine is ridiculous. Yeah, my, yeah, that's not mm. a good one. I have, my dad once opened the letter by accident because I said, to, I think I was away and I asked him to open some of my letters. 
he really he like freaked out because he did not go to university and so he does not understand <laughs> student loans at all and he called me like really stressed out and he was like it's okay we'll we'll, we'll figure a way to like oh, pay bless. this off don't worry oh, I love your um, he was like we just we, we won't tell your mom it'll be fine don't worry <laughs> we um, won't tell and your I mom. was sat there on the other end of the phone just having such a giggle because I was like don't worry I got it he was like how have you got that and I was like I don't have that money yeah. but it's I'll pay it when I can um so yeah it is it is effectively it's called a loan but it's more like a threshold tax for mm. when you graduate and also am I right in saying that whatever we've got is also accruing interest yeah whilst you're not doing so it's to say you never you don't hit that 27k for a little while yeah that doesn't mean that your number stays the same that you have to pay back because that's gathering interest as well yeah again another common myth is that it's got no interest on it Mm. um and it's because years ago they used to say like it doesn't have interest it just grows with inflation and effectively that's the interest interest, and obviously we all know we've not had our head in a rock that inflation has been bonkers over the last two years mm-hmm. um especially last year with the highs of like 11 percent and up yeah the student loan got out of hand and interest on student loans were crazy far outweighing those interests on other like consumer loans so yes it doesn't just stay the number that you end uni with it does grow with interest mm-hmm. but am i right in saying that it gets wiped after a certain amount of time so with plan one it's 25 years and it gets wiped mm-hmm. plan two it's 30 years and it gets wiped Plan five is 40 years. Yeah. God, they really have got the next generation, haven't they? I. This is what angers me the most mm. is obviously, and I'm there in classrooms at the moment teaching and speaking to young people and they know they're being handed a rough deal. Like they, And I can't stand there and lie and be like, no, 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 it works actually better for you because it doesn't. Yeah. They What they've done is I think with plan two, only 22% of like the debt landed on the student and obviously the other percent lands on the taxpayer because it comes out of government debt and things. Mm-hmm. What they're trying to do is shift so that over 55% of it lands on the student now. Mm-hmm. So with plan five, you start paying back when you're earning over 25K. Okay, so a little bit earlier. A little bit earlier the and the repayment is 40 years so there was like headlines everywhere like yeah. students paying back loan into their 60s and that is a realization that it, that can happen um so it you know you, they start to question young people when I speak to them is it worth it I was gonna say is it is it is it worth it to go to university now I honestly it's a it's a huge question I think if you're asking me um <laughs> I would say it depends and like I say it's a case-by-case basis like I'm not sure um, with my university education that I used it for what I was meant to be there for. Like, obviously, I got an accountancy degree, um, but I mean, the, the main thing I got out of university was the experience mm-hmm. um, and just being able to live alone and, you know, have that, like, life, I suppose. Um, and that's what I... And I don't regret going to university. And I don't regret spending the money. But for younger people, there might be another way that, you know, that so now more than ever, we're talking about apprenticeships. You yeah. can even get sponsored to go to university, which is something I don't think is talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of companies that will sponsor students throughout uni, tends to come with quite heavy contracts. So you have to work for that company after and stuff. But there are ways to reduce that cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but whether it's right for everyone, I, I don't I don't think it's right for absolutely everyone. But mm-hmm. I'm glad I went. Yeah, I'm definitely glad I went too. But I think if I had to have my time over again, I'm not sure. I think I would maybe have chosen a different route. I don't, really? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, like like you said, like I think I got amazing things out of it. Like I really wanted to move out from home and I got to travel abroad and all that kind of stuff, which was amazing. 
but then maybe I wouldn't. I just I just think it is quite a lot, isn't it? And I, mm. so for anyone who's graduating this year, are they still on plan two? Yes. Yeah, you have to start September of this year to be on plan five. Right now that we'll be yes. going on to plan five. So anyone that's going to university this year right. will be on plan five. Okay. Um, and there, there was obviously a big conversation about it last year because obviously I was in schools last year teaching mm. and a lot of them were talking about deferring a year. Um and we were oh like, my gosh, just yeah. just think that through because <laughs> the change is vast yeah. um, between plan two and plan five. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, have a little think. But now it's 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 come into play, so mm-hmm. it's not there's not much you can do. Um, let's talk a little bit about the gender pay gap then. Yeah. Um, what is the gender pay gap for someone who doesn't really understand it? Okay, the gender pay gap is the. The best way to explain it, and actually, sorry, I'm going to start with the gender pay gap is not what people often think it is, where men are paid more than women for the same jobs. That's actually illegal. Um, and when I ask, especially young people, or if I go into workplaces and I teach about the gender pay gap, a lot of people say to me, well, it's because men are paid more than women. No, that's actually illegal. And because of like the Equality Act that was brought in, in the 70s, like that shouldn't happen. If it's happening you definitely call that out because that's illegal. You don't let that slide. But the gender pay gap is slightly different. And the best way to describe it is if you imagine um, a a company and you have people from lower, like from like intern roles all the way through to C-suite. So like your CEOs, presidents, et cetera. The gender pay gap happens when there, or a worse gender pay gap is when there are more women in these like lower roles. So the ones on lower income than there are, on the C-suite role. So let's just imagine you're in a company and 90% on the, of those that are earning between 15 and 40,000 are women. But then once you hit to the C-suite like roles, so those earning like 100 and 150K plus, it flips the other way and you tend to get 90% men in those roles. And mm-hmm. that's where the gender pay gap is happening. That's the issue is we're not seeing the average earnings across both genders like kind of coming to an equilibrium because you're seeing most of the lower income roles held by women and most of the higher income roles held by men. That is a complete generalization, but that is effectively what the gender pay gap is trying to represent. Um, And when companies are made to report their gender pay gap, which most companies are starting to do, what they're trying to show is that they are, they've got an even spread of men and women in all of these positions at all levels. Um, And we're not losing women as we like get to these C-suite positions. Um, and yeah, it's really important. I think it's really important to talk about. Mm-hmm. So what are like our rights then as women against our male colleague and counterparts? Like how can we call out if we see a bad, like a, a negative gender pay gap? How can we call it out? How can we even go about that conversation? Mm. That's so tricky. I think it would depend on the business. Um, and I'm sure most, if not all companies have some sort of HR function and it's worth talking to those people and, and having those discussion with men as well. Um, I think, you know, there's so many great women that have done great speeches over the last few years, like Emma Watson's like he for she campaign, Mm -hmm. where she said, it's not just about women calling themselves feminists and people getting afraid. It's about bringing the men in as well and understanding where does their position lie? What should they be doing to help us? What can they like Mm -hmm. be seen to be doing? I think there's nothing worse than having a male president CEO telling a group of women what the gender pay gap is in the company and saying like oh it's just what it is like you should have Mm. more women like more visibility that kind of thing going on Mm -hmm. um do you think it's something you should look at before you start a job 
I would, mm. but that's just me and my personality. <laughs> like, I think I, like, I do have a little nosy about uh, most people's gender pay gaps just because it's interesting to see. And is um, it visible clearly online? Um, not everyone has to report it. A lot mm. of people voluntarily do and some people are asked to um, and you can have a look at it. And I think it's not necessarily what their number is, but what they say in the report they're doing to fix it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's important is in the reports, they will often write, this is the number, this is why, this is how we're doing good things for mm. people you know we're financially educating our young people great great idea <laughs> you know the we're doing things to support female leadership roles you know that kind of thing that's what I would be looking out for if I was looking for a role now mm-hmm. if I was looking for a role especially in a big company what are they doing to support women getting from a to b because mm-hmm. um, that's not always been there amazing well I've loved chatting to you all about pay slips and what we can understand from what we get paid essentially it's been really fab to chat with you but we always love chatting to all of our guests about some of the adulting failures that they may have had in their lives because although you are a finance and accounting whiz (laughs) I'm sure there are other areas of your life that you feel like you might have made a mess up or two and it kind of just makes everyone feel a little bit more human Um, and it's always really nice to talk about so is there anything that springs to mind when we talk about adulting failures yeah, I I think my biggest, and it was something that I really like stressed about at the time. And I think you said to me before, like, what's something you can laugh about? And I thought about it. It was failing my ACA exams. So mm. I trained, so I did accountancy at university and then I did my ACA, which is 15 more like exams after university that you do whilst you're working. And they are, give you the charter to become a chartered accountant. Mm-hmm. And when I started the ACA, I did it purely because a friend that had left uni the year before had done it and I knew she was sort of on good money. So I thought, well, then I'll do that. And I started the exams and realised yet again, I was in a room full of incredibly intelligent people. When I was at college, this was for the exams um, that could sit exams, no problems. Like they would just sit an exam, pass it, move on to the next. I've never, ever been blessed with that. I'm dyslexic. I come from incredible parents, but parents that didn't necessarily, I think they both left school quite early. Mm-hmm. Um, exams isn't really part of their like world. And I started sitting those exams and I got a bit, I got a bit, um, what's the word, confident because I started passing them and then I had a really big blow and I think I failed two. Mm-hmm. Oh no, that's not true. Three. <laughs> I sat three at one go and I, I failed all three mm-hmm. and it broke me because when you fail an exam at school and you need to retake, there's no real economic impact to you. But when you fail one of those postgrad exams, you have to repay to sit it. Mm-hmm. So not only did you fail, which is enough of a blow, you then have to pay someone <laughs> yeah. to sit them again. And then like not failing your driving test is yeah, very similar. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but they're not they're not cheap. Mm. And I had to reset sit them and I yeah, I was so hard on myself. I think I just, I think I, I you know, they say on, they say nowadays, don't they? Like fail, fail fast. And at the time I failed and failed slow. <laughs> I, I honestly dragged everyone into the like depths the of yeah, yeah, like yeah, sadness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sadness. And I thought yeah. the world was ending. I was, I wasn't good enough to be an accountant. Mm-hmm. That was it. Give up. I, Full honesty, I did have a bit of a like, young midlife crisis and just went to Australia for a few months because I was like, I can't do it. I tap oh, out. Like, really? Yeah, really. 
struggled. Yeah. But do you know what? That's reassuring to hear because you're sat here now owning an incredible company that you've worked really hard for. Yeah. But it's all good to know. Like, it's good to know from our perspective that everyone has a bit of a wobble sometimes and not everyone has this very clear path and trajectory. I think it's really reassuring, to be honest. Yeah, I just wish someone had... Because to- I was around a lot of people that had never, ever failed an exam. Never. Mm-hmm. Like, failing yeah. an exam just wasn't in their remit. They had all come from, you know, the top universities and they were working for the big four. I was doing it slightly differently, but I was trying to be amongst them because yeah. I was I wanted to be at college with them because I thought it would help me. And actually, it was really hard and I had to really pick myself back up. And then I ended up with a tradition, which um, I find really funny, where um, I decided when I went back to sit the exams again, I was like, right, if I'm going to do them, I'm going to do them my way. And I think for the first sets of exams, I used to go in like a black suit because it was still quite formal at the time and you'd sit in a room full of people and do your exam. I scrapped that. The next exam I went to, I turned up full pink Juicy Couture tracksuit. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it had like Juicy on the back. And like I walked into the exam like space. Everyone was looking and was like, honestly, the guy that I walked up to was like, are you here for the exam? I was like, yeah. <laughs> Full L. Wood, L. Woods vibes yeah, is well, what you're giving this me. This was yeah. the thing. I just was like, what would I, what would like, you know, confident Abby do? And that was it. And I, and then that was it religiously for every single exam I wore that tracksuit. And I, that. I just felt <laughs> like I, I had a giggle to myself because there's those situations are really intense and you need to find space in those times to laugh at yourself. Mm-hmm. And I would sit there and I remember the first time I wore it and I was sat doing this exam just halfway through the exam, I just caught the fact I was wearing pink again and had a laugh because I thought no one else in this room, everyone else was wearing black. And it's just what they were doing. And they were all head down and like so stressed out. And I was there and I was like, it's fine. I've got pink mm. on. Like what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think the failing of my exams was hard, but it taught me how to kind of bounce back and adapt it to suit you. Mm. I love that idea of like, what's the worst that can happen as well? Because I think we stress so much in our 20s about <gasps> what, yeah. you know, uh, if I fail this, I failed my whole life. And that's just, it's way too much pressure to be putting yeah. on ourselves. And realistically, what's the worst that can happen if if you do fail? Like yeah. you reset, you save a bit of money and you pay to reset again. Yeah, you know? like I, I'm at the end of my 20s now. Um, and I won't say that I I figured it out at all. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, and I did, I really, really punished myself when I failed those first exams. And actually just wish I'd seen someone else or someone else had said to me, don't worry, I failed them too. Because I looked around and maybe I was just in the wrong circle, but I looked around and no one else had failed. Mm -hmm. And I just assumed that was it. I was the only person that had ever failed those exams, which is just not true. No, I know they're really hard as well. So (laughs) I bet you aren't. Um, One of the other things we like to talk about on the podcast is like something that you're going through right now that you're trying to get better at. Obviously, like you just said, you're at the end of your 20s now, but by no means are you the finished product. And I think that's what we really try and promote is that like, we're all like trying to get better at something in our 20s as well. Um, So for you, what's the one thing that you're trying to, or one thing that you're trying to get better at right now? So when I was thinking about this, I actually said exercise. I'm going to change it because now I'm sat here. The one thing I need to get much better at is taking a compliment. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a, that was for most of my 20s has been the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I've not actually... I've, I've developed better ways of faking it, but I'm not very good at taking a compliment at all or, you know, someone saying like, oh, it's going so well, especially with the rise of Instagram. The wash of people that are in my life right now that are saying like, congratulations, everything's amazing. You must be yeah. so proud. And I'm there and I'm like, is this someone else's life? And then I'm, <laughs> like, I'm not really sure what, 
I don't and I don't know how to take it so mm -hmm. I just say oh thanks and move on or I'll just send like a emoji heart and because I, I don't know how to take it and mm -hmm. I wish I I haven't learned that yet but I wish if I could go back in time I could teach it to my 20 year old self because I think I would be a much bigger person now or not bigger but a much calmer person if I could just take a bit more compliment could mm -hmm. take a compliment a bit more I think a lot of us just that shift of like oh yeah thanks I think we've all done it like I think yeah. we can all really relate to that but it doesn't really I feel like you don't internalize it you just brush it off as like oh they don't really mean that but like yeah. but of course they do like otherwise they wouldn't say it and I think it's it's nice to every every now and again to be like oh yeah have done a good job and I am proud of myself and I don't think we'd ever do that enough I think like so I always hope to be a really big cheerleader to my friends like mm -hmm. anytime they move I am like they so move. proud of people I'm like <laughs> you've got this and like anytime so complete strangers as well on Instagram will tell me that they checked their tax code and that actually they got a tax rebate and they're so grateful I am there with the banner I am all I'm yeah. so excited for people and I and I just wish I could internalize that myself and like accept it for myself a bit more because I think um yeah, and I don't talk about it a lot with people because I feel like it's a bit embarrassing. Like, you're meant to be running a business. How can you not take a compliment? Like, you, mm -hmm. you're a big girl. You wear big girl knickers. You <laughs> Like, you take it on. But yeah, I just, I think that's something I really, I need to get um, better at. And I think young people are better at it, if I'm honest. Like, mm -hmm. when I see, speak to young people, they are, they've got a, a self in self-awareness that we definitely I definitely didn't have when I was in my teens and mm -hmm. 20s um but yeah I wish I could change well, hopefully that. the next generation will be better at taking a compliment fingers crossed <laughs> who knows <laughs> uh well Abby it's been amazing to have you on the podcast thank you so much for all the wise words you have shared with us we've I've absolutely loved chatting to you and I cannot wait to see how your kind of personal brand and your business grows over the next few years as well because it's honestly just the beginning I can totally tell um but we always end the podcast with the same question that we ask every single one of our guests and it's if you could look back at 20 year old Abby and give her just one piece of advice that isn't the thing you just said about compliments another amazing piece of advice what would you say to her I would say people's opinions don't aren't your facts so when I was younger, a lot of people told me what I should be doing on what they or what was right to do, um, especially being an accountant. I should have gone to a big four and the fact I wasn't at a big four wasn't like right. Um, but for me, the fact was I didn't want to be in a big four. I didn't want to have a corporate life. I wanted to work in somewhere glamorous. And so I went and worked at Condé Nast, um, which is Vogue um, mm -hmm. Publications. And then I worked at another publishing house called Hearst and that was what suited me. So yeah, people's opinions don't always have to mean your facts. I think it's something mm -hmm. I wish I could have told my younger self. Mm -hmm. I love that. And what an amazing little story to kind of finish the podcast with. I yeah. think, you know, everything looks different to everyone and you don't have to follow on that same trajectory and the same path as everyone else. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time people do think accounting big four and they don't think that obviously magazines need accountants they too. They do. Everyone, <laughs> everyone needs finance. Yeah. This is the thing. You don't have to limit yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Just thank you so much. Story. This has been oh. so fun. I've forgotten we're like being filmed and I now keep casting my eye. <laughs> oh, well, it's been amazing to chat to you. Thank you so much for coming up to the studio. I'm sure this won't be the last time we see each other. <laughs> no, hope not. Amazing. Thank you.